in the story that Sharon just read to us, there are five named characters. The reason I think that God has presented this story in this way is because it allows us to look at the issue of the misuse of sex, premarital sex, abuse, assault, from five different points of view. So what we're going to do this morning as we walk through this story is look at each of the named characters. And my prayer is, is that all of us here this morning would find ourselves in one of these characters and allow them to speak to us, actually to allow God to speak to us through them. The first named character in the story is Amnon. If you'll remember from what Sharon just read, Amnon is the one who is the perpetrator. He is the one who engages in sexual assault. Tamar is his half-sister. They have the same father, David. They have different mothers. Amnon represents those who are perpetrating assault, abuse, and the misuse of sex. Now, it's said of Amnon that he loves Tamar, but that really should be in quotes. The Hebrew language doesn't have a way to give us quotes, but he doesn't love her with a godly love. Amnon lusts after her. We know that because after he's had intercourse with her, he then hates her with a passion that is greater than he supposedly loved her at the beginning. In this way, Amnon represents those who are controlled by lust. Notice in verse 2, it says that Amnon was physically sick because of lust. Lust is powerful. Don't underestimate it. It has the power to control behavior because Amnon is thinking about it constantly because he's consumed with it. He's actually physically sick by it. But we know that this is not godly nor is it truly love, because whereas love wants to serve another person, to do something for them, look what Amnon says, it was impossible for him to do anything to her. Tamar is an object that Amnon lusts over. He wants to use her to satisfy his desires. In this way, we come to understand that Amnon not only represents those who have engaged in assault and abuse. He actually represents all who are controlled by lust. That means people who are engaging in premarital sex or adultery or pornography, whether male or female. Amnon represents those people who are doing that. Now you may say, but I've never assaulted anybody. (laughs) If you've talked a girl into having sex with you before marriage, if you've convinced a husband to be unfaithful to his wedding vows, you have used force. Now, it may not be physical force, but you have used force to try to convince somebody to do something not in what's in their best interest, but to satisfy your desires. If you are engaged with pornography, you are training yourself to be controlled by lust. And while it might not have resulted in physical abuse yet, 
and it may not, if that's your situation, you're Amnon. And Amnon represents those for whom lust is the controlling factor in their life. Now notice what Tamar says to Amnon in verse 12. Don't, my brother, when he first propositions, or don't force me, such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. Now it's interesting, she's saying that to him about the act of sex before marriage. The assault hasn't happened yet. She even goes so far as to say, look, ask the king, we can get married and then there can be our sexual union can be okay in God's eyes. All of which means the wickedness going on here is the premarital sex. It's the idea of sex before marriage. Some people think, well, does the Bible really say that sex before marriage is wrong? Yes, it does. It is a wicked thing. The assault, which comes right after that, just compounds the wickedness of it and makes it an absolute abomination in the eyes of the Lord. That's why Amnon not only represents those who engage in physical abuse and sexual assault, he also represents all who struggle with letting lust control our lives. Whether that manifests itself in premarital sex or adultery or pornography. And the warning from Amnon to each of us is notice how his story ends. Lust always leads to death. It may be physical death like Amnon experiences in the next half of the chapter, which we're not looking at. Absalom hunts him down and kills him. And it may very well be that someone hunts you down and kills you because of actions you have taken in this arena. But it can also be a different kind of death, a sort of walking death, where you're physically still alive, but lust is so in control of your actions and your thoughts that you're consumed by it. That's what you're thinking about. It controls you. That in fact, you are like dead. And the warning of Amnon is lust always leads to death. The second named character in the story is a man named Jonadab. If you remember from the story, Jonadab is Amnon's friend. He's the one who comes up with this plan to trap Tamar. And unfortunately, Jonadab is a character that we can easily recognize in our lives today. He's that man or that woman He's a man in the story, but in our lives, he can either be a male or a female. He's that person who's always urging us to have sex outside of marriage. He's that guy that introduces you to pornography. He's the one who tries to convince you, look, if you just had more sex, everything would go better in your life. He's the one who's constantly talking about sex, who's constantly thinking about it. That's the Jonadabs that we see in our lives today. Friends, listen to me. Listen to what the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Don't be misled. Don't think, oh, that Jonathan, a Jonadab, he's harmless. He's just kind of a funny guy. 
He's always thinking about sex. He's always talking about sex. He's always joking about it. That's just bad company corrupts good character. And the point is, is that if you're here this morning and you have a Jonadab in your life, get rid of him. Look, lust is hard enough to fight against without this help, without this guy in your life egging you on. If your boyfriend has a Jonadab in his life, have nothing to do with your boyfriend until he gets rid of Jonadab. Listen to me, ladies especially. Tamar is in twice the trouble because she's got two men scheming to bring her down. I know you think it's fine. It's not. Bad company corrupts good character. Parents, if your children have Jonadabs for friends, do everything in your power to get them out of your son or daughter's life. The third named character in this story is Tamar. Tamar is the woman who experiences assault and abuse. Again, in this story, she's a female. But she can represent either men or women who have been the victims of sexual harassment, assault, or abuse. This is not limited to one gender. Now, the reason why I think God recorded this story in Scripture, there were lots, unfortunately, of experiences of abuse that God could have recorded. The reason why I think he chose this act of sexual assault is because Tamar is the one good character in the whole story. She's the only person in this story who does everything exactly right. You see, one of the lies is, is when sexual assault takes place or when there's abuse, one of the lies that Satan says is somehow it's your fault. That somehow if you hadn't let yourself get into that situation or somehow you did something to deserve this. What this passage is trying to tell you is no, that's a lie from Satan. Tamar is where she is. She, she takes food to Amnon because her dad told her to. She ends up alone in the bedroom with Amnon because he's scheming against her. She has no idea this is coming. And please, don't tell me that she shouldn't be this naive. This is her half-brother. She has no idea that Amnon and Jonadab are scheming against her. She has done everything exactly right. Even when she gets into this situation, what she says to Amnon is perfectly righteous and correct. Don't do this. This is wicked. Even if we were to engage in consensual sexual activity, it would be wrong and a disgrace. And even she offers to marry him so that God might not be offended and this disgrace might not be there. From beginning to end, Tamar is blameless. And I think the reason God chose to record her story is to say to each of us today, if you've been through assault, if you've experienced abuse, please do not listen to the lie of Satan. It's not your fault. Nothing that you can do should result in that. Look, I understand. I understand that there are some wise choices. I understand that. The, but in Tamar's case, and in most cases, 
the person who is the victim is truly the victim. And you say, well, if she's so righteous, why didn't God show up to protect her? Where was God? I mean, come on, the nation of Israel was filled with wicked men and women. Why couldn't this have happened to them instead of to her? Here is this girl who's trying to do the right thing, who's trying to live in the right way. She's trying to serve. She's trying to obey. And this happens to her. Where's God? Why doesn't he protect her? The story doesn't answer that question. But I'd like to come back at the end of the sermon and try to say something about that. There's one more thing about Tamar, though, before we leave her for now. And that is that she does one thing that is absolutely essential for any who are walking in her footsteps. She speaks up. She tells her brother Absalom what happened. When assault happens, when abuse happens, Satan wants us to keep quiet. He tells us nobody's going to believe you. He tells us if you share this, it's just going to embarrass people or cause problems or there'll be, uh, there'll be retribution and he wants us to keep it quiet. I'm telling you from God's word, follow the example of Tamar. God recorded it in scripture so that we could follow it. She speaks up. She doesn't go running around telling everybody, but she finds a trusted loved one that she knows cares about her and she opens up to him and she tells it to him. Now, I do know that many parents, you've let some of your kids stay here. So I want to talk to all the kids in the room for just a moment. If anybody touches you inappropriately or makes you feel uncomfortable or does something to you physically that doesn't feel right, God is telling you to share that with a parent or with a pastor. You can come tell me or with a trusted loved one, maybe you've got an older brother or a sister that you know looks out for you. I'm telling you, the person who says to you, don't tell anybody, you'll get in trouble. The person who says to you, it's your fault. The person who tries to tell you, they're lying to you. God is telling you, share this with a loved one. This is how the healing process begins. It's not your fault. You've not done anything wrong. God can help you and will help you. Come tell somebody. Tell me. Tell your parents. Tell a sibling that loves you. Somebody that you trust. And what I'm saying to the kids, I'm saying to everybody in this room. Look, it doesn't matter what age you are. You may have kept something in your past and kept it silent for 50 years or longer. Please hear the word of the Lord. Healing begins when you come out and name it. I'm not saying you got to get up in front of the church and tell everybody. I'm saying there's somebody in your life, a loved one that you trust, somebody that you can share this with, because once you name it, God can begin to heal it. As long as it stays in the dark, Satan will use it to own you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how mature you think you're going to be. If that stays in the dark, he will use it time and again to beat you down. But when you name it, you bring it into the light. And God can begin to heal it. And I'm telling you, 
We have story after story after story of people at this church whom this has happened to. We've got lots of Tamars here. Some of them are here this morning who volunteered when I said I was teaching on this passage. They said, I'm going to be available down front. I want to talk to them. I want to tell them you can be restored. It can be taken care of. God can bring healing. God can make you whole again. But it all starts with what Tamar did. She had the courage to share it with a loved one. The fourth named character in the story is Absalom. If you remember from the story, Absalom is Tamar's full brother. So Absalom and Tamar have the same mom and the same dad. Absalom is the one who comes in after this happens when Tamar shares this with him and he loves her and he protects her and he cares for her. But we were also told in the story that he hated Amnon. And Absalom represents and stands for all who are here this morning who may have had a loved one who's gone through something like this. It could be your spouse who had an experience like this when he or she was younger or perhaps when they were away from you. It could be a sibling. It could be your child. It could be a friend. But if you have a loved one who has been the victim of sexual assault or abuse and you're caring for them, then Absalom is the character God wants to speak to you this morning. Now, Absalom does one really, really great thing, and he does one really, really bad thing. Let's look at the really great thing he does first. It's verse 20. Tamar's brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. The phrase a desolate woman means that Tamar never married. This is one of the features that was true in their culture, was that someone who had been through this wasn't able to get married. People wouldn't marry her. I thank God that that God has changed that, that that's not true in our culture. But in her culture, that was true. And it is the point that When assault happens, there can be consequences that do not ever go away, this side of heaven. But what Absalom does is he comes in and he loves Tamar. And he takes her in and he cares for her. I mean, Tamar is the daughter of the king. By all rights, she should end up as royalty. She should be married off to a prince or to a king. And she should experience all the the riches of doing that. Now she can't because of this. And so Absalom does the absolute right thing. He invites her in and gives it to her as her brother. She lives with him and all the blessings of his life he shares with her. That's amazing, wonderful expression of God's love to Tamar in the face of this very evil and wicked act. Absalom also along those same lines gives Tamar the exact right piece of advice. When he says to her, be quiet now, he's not saying don't talk about this. And when he says don't take this thing to heart, he's not saying don't worry about it. What that phrase don't take this thing to heart means, do not allow the memory 
or the implications of this tragic event to continue to dominate your thinking. Don't take this to heart means don't let it take root in your heart. Absalom is absolutely right here and God is speaking to us through him. If you have walked in the shoes of Tamar, if you know that, what God is saying is, is this is the advice you want to give to somebody that you love. Look, if you're not careful, this event can dominate who you are. It can become the thing that you identify with. It can become nested in your heart and stay there for years and years. And Absalom's advice is the right advice. Don't let that happen. Don't let this thing own you. It's not a quick process. It doesn't happen overnight. But by God's grace, this thing that has been done can be removed from your heart and be something that is external to you, not something that is internal. And so Absalom gives her the right advice. Don't let this take root in your heart. But unfortunately, Absalom does something that I can sympathize with absolutely and completely. But it doesn't make it right. The thing he does wrong is that he hates Amnon. I know why. You know why. But it doesn't make it right. And this hatred that Absalom has for Amnon will itself destroy Absalom. We're going to look at his story in the next few weeks. This is where the downfall begins. The fifth and final named character in the story is King David. Now, David's the dad. So on one hand, you could look at him as another loved one. I don't think that's how we're supposed to look at him in this passage because he's introduced as King David which means that you're supposed to think of him as the king, which means that what David represents is the authority structure. Could be parents who might be in a position of authority where something has happened to one of their children. It most definitely is the church whom God has given authority and responsibility to be involved and to protect and to look out for what's going on here. Now, we do have to give David credit. He's done a good job with helping his daughters realize that premarital sex is a wicked thing. Tamar is wearing an ornamented robe. This is a robe that David gave to his virgin daughters to remind them that sex before marriage is not good for them. It's sort of an ancient equivalent of the modern-day purity ring. And David's done a good job as a dad, and he's reminded, and she knows it. She knows he's done a good job warning her about this. And oftentimes, we as the church and parents, we do a good job on this front. We're willing to stand up here and to say, sexual immorality, sex before marriage is wrong. Don't walk down that path. And the church and parents, we can be good at this. But when it comes to abuse, David's a no-show. Yes, the text says he's furious, but he doesn't do anything. He doesn't come and punish Amnon. He doesn't come and comfort Tamar. He's a no-show. He does nothing. And you think to yourself, David, you're a man after God's own heart. Can you not see the destruction here? Where are you? 
Why aren't you here? Why aren't you doing something? You're the rule of law in Israel. Do something. Come and help Tamar. Come and punish Amnon. Don't let this thing go. The problem is, is that many churches today, we stand up and say, sex before marriage is wrong. But when assault happens, when abuse happens, we're a no-show. We're the body of Christ. We are God's representation in this world. Yeah, we may get furious about it. Yeah, we may say that's bad, it shouldn't happen. But where are we when it does happen? It's absolutely unacceptable. Listen, the church must report all cases of abuse to the governing authorities. That's the law of the land. We're supposed to submit to the law of the land and obey it. That's what we're supposed to do. It's not our job to kind of cover things up or to hide things. That's wrong. It's the church's job to seek out sexual predators in our midst and kick them out. We're to protect the sheep. Wolves dressed in sheep clothing have no business being here. And it's the church's responsibility not to turn a blind eye, not to go in a corner and be furious about assault and abuse and harassment, but to do something about it. It's the church's job to seek out those who've been hurt and to care for them the way Absalom did, to provide whatever help is necessary, to provide encouragement, to provide love. David represents the authority figures. And in this situation, the authorities didn't do a very good job. And unfortunately, Christ's church in this world has not always done much better. There are five characters in this story. Amnon, the perpetrator. Jonadab, the scheming friend. Tamar, the victim. Absalom, the caring loved one. And David, the authority figure. The reason why I think God put five named characters is because he wants us as we go through this text to figure out which one of these is he talking to us this morning through. God could have very easily simply ignored this whole subject. He didn't. He took a chapter of scripture and gave it to us because he wants us to talk about this. He wants us to look honestly at ourselves and our situation and say, which one of these characters am I? Which road am I walking down? Now I'm also aware that not only did God inspire this story to be written in scripture, he also put it in the Old Testament. Which means that as Christians, when we read this story, there's still more truth left to go. That the New Testament has some things to say about this issue that aren't in this story. And so what I'd like us to do, I'd like every one of us in this room to close your eyes. And what I'm going to attempt to do is having gone through the 
teachings of the New Testament. I would like to allow Jesus to speak to each one of us in the situation where we are. So please keep your eyes closed. And I want you to think as we get ready to do this, which of these characters is God wanting to talk to me through? And I want you to listen carefully as I want to share with you a message from Jesus to each of us. To the Amnons first. Those of us struggling with lust. Jesus is saying, listen, I know the power that lust has over you. Amnon was physically sick because of it, and it dominated his thought life. But I can and do give victory over lust. I died to set you free so that you do not have to live and die as Amnon did. I can forgive anything that you have done. I can and I will help you. To those of us who have Jonadabs for friends, listen to what Jesus is saying. I no longer call you servants, but friends, because everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jonadab is not your friend. A friend looks out for your best interests, he does not lead you down a path of destruction. I laid down my life for you, my friend. But I cannot be the friend to you that you need as long as you keep associating with Jonadab. To the Absaloms. Those of us who love and care for those hurt through assault and abuse. Jesus is saying, thank you. Thank you for your care for the hurting and the broken. You are an expression of my love to them. Keep encouraging them not to let this wickedness consume them. Keep encouraging them not to let this wickedness control them. But please, realize that vengeance is mine. I will repay. Just as I forgave you, you must also forgive this person who has caused such pain. To the Davids, those of us who are given authority to care and protect, Jesus is saying, protect my sheep, care for the brokenhearted, seek out those who are hurting and help them, repent of your inactivity and tolerance of the misuse of sex. 
defend my sons and daughters who have been treated in this way, or else I will come and fight against you. And finally, to the Tamars, those who have been the victims. I come back to the question of why did God allow something like this to happen to you? To you, Jesus says, my dear child, I am so sorry that this has happened. The world did to me whatever it wanted because it hated me. And now you have suffered in a similar way. My father asked me to suffer in this way so that I might bring salvation to all. And you have been asked to suffer in this way so that you might be an agent of blessing to others too. I know it is hard for you to believe, but you are dearly loved. Our Father sent me to suffer and die to demonstrate his love for you. Through my death and resurrection, you too can be raised to new life. I know you feel worthless, but you are of great worth to me. I know that you don't want people to know, and you are embarrassed, but I know what it's like to be rejected and humiliated. I have provided loved ones to help you through this and my church to watch over you. Trust my love for you in them. I know you do not feel like a true man or a real woman because of this. But I fashioned you in your mother's womb and I am recreating your humanity for you. I know that you think that part of you has died. But I am the giver of life. I will get you through this, I promise. Though it was meant for evil, I intend to use it for good. I love you with a love beyond your comprehension and I hurt for you in a way that no one else will ever hurt. I understand what you are going through and I am here for you. I will never, ever leave you. You are my beloved child, and you are dearly and desperately loved. You may open your eyes. Jesus chose this text for us this morning, not only so that he could speak words of encouragement to all of us through it, but so that we might put deeds with those words. And so Pastor Josh Mateer, our pastor of pastoral care, is going to come and tell you how we as a church want to come alongside of you, whichever one of these characters you may find God speaking to you through. God has asked us not just to speak, but to do. So Josh, come and tell us 
what it is God has for us. Well, as a church, we do indeed want to walk alongside you in whatever character you might identify yourself with, but then also whatever stage of the journey you might be in in the process that you faced. And especially for those of you who have experienced what Tamar went through, um, as a church, we want to be here for you. And as Jim highlighted, the importance of sharing your story with someone. And if you're at that place where you have not yet done that, perhaps the Lord has brought someone to your mind, a loved one. We would encourage you to share that with them this week. Um, or it might be that the Holy Spirit is stirring within you, telling you not to leave this morning before you have shared this with someone. And we have a group of ladies down front. Some have experienced this themselves and want to bring the experience of healing into your life. Others that can be there too to hear your story, to start you on this journey, and to share with you some of the ways in which we as a church can come alongside you. And in your uh, program or bulletin this morning, in the sermon notes on the back side, are some information of ministries that we have available for us, and one of them is called Healing Injured Sisters, and it's an eight-week study that walks uh, women through the process of finding healing uh, despite the hurt that they have faced. We do, however, know that this is not an issue, as Jim pointed out, just for women. Tamar was a female in the story, but she represents also men who have faced this in their past, and if you are, are a guy who has faced this too, um, don't allow the world to convince you that you need to do this on your own in isolation. And would you come down front as well? We have others that can hear your story, talk with you. Feel free to call us throughout the week. Find that trusted friend to begin that journey of healing in your life as well. You may be here, and, and Amnon is your story, and you are tied into the uh, chains that lust has brought into your life. On those sermon notes on the back, we also have a ministry here called Avenue, and this is a workbook program that men are walking through, and it allows them to find freedom from that which is so binding in their lives, and we have men up front that can share that with you or call us or even just send a quick email to the email address that's on those study notes. You may also be an Amnon who in years past have done something very hurtful to someone. Know that the Lord forgives and we want to help you to experience that as well. You may be struggling with Jonadab's in your life. You may, like Absalom, be struggling to forgive someone. Or like David, you have people underneath you in your care, and you're trying to find discernment on how to come alongside them that they have faced deep concerns. We're here as well to talk to you about that, to uh, find that discernment from the Lord in ways in which we can find his healing and his movement forward. And that is our ultimate goal this morning, is to find the Lord's healing into each one of our lives. And so why don't we pray together, asking God to do that work that ultimately only He can do. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You did indeed love us so much that You sent Your Son to suffer on our behalf to bring healing to our lives. And Jesus, thank You that Your Scriptures tell us that by Your wounds we are healed. And so, Lord, would you bring your healing power into the wounds that your children have faced and are facing? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would actively work as well in bringing that restored understanding of your love into their lives. And would you please, in whatever scenario anybody is walking through, by your grace, do your great healing power. And, Lord, it's by your name, your powerful name, that we pray all of this. Amen.